Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Doing the Thing podcast. We're still doing just that, doing the thing to help you overcome procrastination and build a legacy of wealth and success in your relationships, your career, and your businesses if you so operate one. Uh, this week, struggling for topics. I was, I was texting my brother, I was texting Phil, I was texting some friends. And what should we talk about? What should we talk about? Aside from the obvious, right? Right. So texted Phil, like, hey man, you got anything in the can? Got any ideas? And he said, yes. I'm like, okay, what? <laughs> I got something. Okie doke. Let's do it. So I'm kind of coming into this line. So, so I'm going to be along for the ride with you guys and hopefully, um, Hopefully we get something really good out of this. I know we will. And uh, Phil, what are we talking about, man? Yeah, hopefully we do get something out of this. Um, <laughs> but I love this. Sometimes we do this to each other, Jason and I, right, where um, we just kind of say, I'm just going to throw this at you and see how you react to it. Because if you think about it, that's how the audience is going to react. So what we're going to be talking about today is how one of the greatest mysteries in the history of art was solved. That sounds pretty cool, right? Yeah. Yeah. Great like the Da Vinci art. Code, right? Like the Da Vinci Code. Yeah. Yeah. It makes me think of Robert Langdon with his Mickey Mouse watch on. Uh, <laughs> but I want to set the stage and I want to get some visuals going here before we dig into the story. So use your imagination. I want you to picture a football field. Got it? Got it. How long is a football field? 100 yards. 100 yards times 36 inches, 3,600 inches, right? Now, I want you to picture a bunch, like a whole fleet of armored cars driving into that football field and all the guards getting out with their guns on their side and everything, and they've got bags full of dollar bills. Can you see all that? Yep, got it. That's a lot. So during our story, I want you to just imagine that while we're talking, while we're doing this podcast, these armored guards is on his own football field, setting dollar bills lengthwise, end to end, straight down that football field. Can you see that in your mind? Say dollar bills or hundred dollar bills? Dollar bills. Okay. That's yeah, because I want to make this example grand. So we're talking about dollar bills on the football field, right? And dollar bill, just for reference, is about six and a quarter, six and a half inches length. So laying one down, six inches later, laying the next one to it. So just so you six know. In, end to end per yard. Yeah. So across. Whew, that's a lot. It, it would take a lot of dollar bills to – go straight across an entire 100-yard football field, wouldn't it? Yeah. 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 Okay. All right. Stick a pin in that. Um, <laughs> but let's talk about the point of today's story. Um, and the reason I thought it was relevant to share it is that um, so many times in life, we're surrounded by opportunity, um, but we're blind equally to opportunity. And it's not because we choose to be, it's not because we intend to be, but it's actually how we are wired. Um, so there's a principle in psychology you've probably heard of, Jason, called behavioral scripting. Yeah, yeah, I've heard of that. Like um, things that are happening that you can basically predict, right? Like, Yeah, that's exactly right. That's a great way to sum it up. So, you know, um, the mind is capable and processes somewhere, and I guess this 
you know, relative to what's going on in your day. And if you had a late night with adult beverages the night before, you could range between 12,000 and 60,000 thoughts in a day. That's a lot of thoughts, right? Um, so How do they know that? How do they record that? That's a lot. I don't know. How, how do you, you like get a, a beaker and like this many thoughts are going to fit in here? And this <laughs> 60,000 thoughts, they're all just draining out of his ear. This is it. Yeah. Well, I, I suspect, get you off track. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I suspect what they maybe do is, um, you know, every time a neuron fires, the assumption is that something's going on within the mind, right? So I imagine that it's uh, uh, probably yeah. EEG kind of technology that they're measuring. Got the Professor X headgear yeah. thing going on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's somewhere between 12,000 and 60,000 new thoughts in a day. So as you can imagine, that might be a little overwhelming. The brain has this executive function that says, focus on, on the important things, right? Survival being one of them, um, you know, great challenges being another. And what it does is it sorts um, the expected into a category we don't have to think about. So let's take an example. You see a young couple holding hands, walking into a restaurant. What do we know is going to happen? They're going to find a table. They're, They're going, going to, to me a server, um, get a menu, order some drinks. Yeah, yeah. Get a meal, pay their bill. Right. So imagine you're driving by and you see that young couple walk in. You're not going to spend time thinking about, okay, they just walked in, so now they're going to get a table, and then the waiter's going to come, and once they do, they're going to get their drinks, and then they're going to look at the menu. And you're not going to think about all those things. What you may be attentive to is the cars in oncoming traffic and what the red light's doing. Is it green or yellow or turning red or whatever, right? And all those things you should be attentive to. But behavioral scripting causes us to make assumptions about things that are going on. And unfortunately for us, sometimes we don't see the everyday things that we encounter, we stop seeing them. Um, so we're going to touch on behavioral scripting and how it can cause us not to see the opportunities that are around us and get very specific in this story. Um, what's interesting though, and, and so let me ask another question. Do you have a living room in your house? Yes. Do you? Okay, cool. How many times, and, and let's get a number here. How many times do you look at or walk into that living room? Man, I have no idea. Like hundreds, thousands? Okay, yeah, in, a, in a day, probably, you know. Let's be conservative. Let's say it's 10 times a day, right? Okay. When you walk into that living room, do you say like, oh, there's my leather couch and there's the rug on the floor. There's my table and there's my wall hanging. I bought at a local. Have I been drinking? <laughs> <laughs> no, because behavioral scripting, we already know what to expect. Interestingly, there's a concept called relational memory that if something's missing or out of place from that living room, you take note of it. But as long as it looks the same, you don't, right? Yeah, that makes sense. So that's what makes this story so interesting. Um, the story takes place in Dublin, Ireland, back in 1990, Dublin, Ireland. And it was a, uh, a home for Jesuit priests. So at any given time, um, between 30 and 40 Jesuit priests lived in this home. And like you, you know, they had a living room, they had a common area. And if you can imagine 30 or 40 Jesuit priests 10 times a day interacting with their living room, 
that's 300 or so interactions a day, right? Yeah. Times the 100 years that a painting hung in that living room and all of these people that lived in that house for 100 years never knew that this painting was famously stolen. It was a Caravaggio painting, the taking of the Christ, stolen 150 years before with a street value of, wait for it, 159,000 football fields lined with dollar bills. Whoa. $935 million painting hanging in this living room that every one of those priests who lived in that house for all of those 100 years didn't know was there. Because when you're in a yeah, <laughs> when you're in a common <laughs> surrounding, sometimes you stop seeing the opportunities are there. Can you imagine, right? So the crazy part of this story is this. Um, there is a man named Sergio Benedetti. And Sergio Benedetti was the curator of a local museum in Dublin, Ireland. He was also a religious man. Um, so he went to church every Sunday. And his priest, a Jesuit priest, um, invited him to their home one day to come and visit. And so imagine his surprise when they go into that living room and they sit down and he's facing the fireplace and looks up and sees what he recognizes immediately to be a Caravaggio painting. Takes it back to the museum and after two years of study and all the carbon whatevers they do, they find out that this is the actual taking of the Christ painting. Wow. $935 million that for a hundred years, 30 or 40 priests have walked by every single day and never saw because it was just that behavioral scripting, right? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So it's like, like, um, hiding in plain sight kind of a thing, you know? Yeah. 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 Um, so the discovery became public, right? Um, newspaper articles and interviews and television broadcasts and all that. And then it started this whole spur around the country of Italy where other people were like, maybe I have a Caravaggio. And in yeah, fact, sure was tearing their paintings up to look in the back <laughs> of the canvas. <laughs> yeah. In fact, what happened is this is the crazy part. So this one little discovery, right? Um, in a castle in Milan, Italy, um, someone discovered a hundred Caravaggio sketches in their attic. They never knew what they were. They just looked wow. like drawings, right? And based on, you know, Benedetti talking about the DNA and the structure of Caravaggio and how he designed his artwork, somebody watching was like, well, that looks kind of familiar. And because of that one discovery, it led to all these hundred other sketches and a bunch of other things. Just this massive discovery of lost art throughout the entire world all happened because one trained eye happened to stumble in and look at something and look at it differently than the hundreds and hundreds of people before him. Yeah. That I, there's gotta be a whole bunch of movies about stuff like that. There's always some type of, you know, um, like oceans 11 type movie where, where they're swapping out paintings and stuff like that. And, but the real one, the actual one that's worth a lot of money has been hanging on the wall the entire time. <laughs> yeah. three-year-old kids throwing nerf balls at it yeah right <laughs> um you know it, it reminds me of a story that i uh way back in the day when i was learning to be a salesperson i read a lot as i'm sure you did a lot of motivational books right yeah 
Did you ever read the uh, Earl Nightingale books or listen to his audio tapes? No, never, never got into Earl Nightingale. Yeah, so one of the stories he told is called The Acres of Diamonds. And it, the story always stuck with me. I don't know if it's true or not. I mean, it seems like maybe it could be, maybe it couldn't be. But then when I heard the Caravaggio story, it started to make a whole lot more sense. But so apparently this took place in, um, in, in Saudi Arabia. And it was a hundred years ago or so. Um, it was when they started to discover diamonds um, throughout all of the land, right? And so one of the landowners hearing about all these diamond discoveries um, sold his land and moved and bought another tract of land and started mining for diamonds. And he spent his last penny mining for diamonds in this new property where other people were discovering diamonds. And unfortunately for him, lost all his money, lost everything, right? But the guy who bought his property, according to the story, um, was just walking around doing some planting, moving out some big rocks and other kinds of things. And one particular rock he liked the shape of, so he took it inside and put it on his fireplace mantle. And a friend came to visit. I think you know where this story's going. <laughs> Literally, the farm that the guy sold had acres and acres of diamonds on it. Oh, man. And... Because the guy who sold the farm hadn't taken the time to know what a diamond looks like, hadn't taken the time to understand his environment and surroundings and know what was there, but instead go looking for it elsewhere, he had acres of wow. diamonds. Right in his backyard. Or, yeah. Bam. What happened? Well, what did he do? Did he just <laughs> take it on the chin and go? Or <laughs> I, you know, I don't want to tell the rest of the story. Um, but it didn't end well for the first guy. Yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine. So, yeah, so I thought, you know, there's some value in hearing stories about this because, look, we're, um, first of all, we're still stuck home, right? We're starting to open up as a country, but we're still stuck home. And we have this unique opportunity to explore what's within our walls. And that includes our family and friends. And sometimes, you know, you, because, our family's so familiar, we don't take the time to relearn them or re-explore them, right? We're going to go back into the workplace and we have our preconceived notions about people and opportunities, but perhaps something lies there that we haven't seen before because of this behavioral scripting. So that's why I thought the story might be interesting to share today. Yeah, you know, um, I mean, when when was the last time, you know, you 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 talked to your I mean, your parents, your your brother, or something like that, and just uh, you know, peel peel back the onion a little bit, see you know what's going on, and learn a little bit about them more than what you've known from growing up or whenever you're residing with them or something like that. I bet you'll find that they're completely different people, you know, not in a bad way, you know, but different than what you expected. They they actually you know they're they're not those family uh, figures that you have in your mind. They're real people. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's true. And, you know, the last story that I'm reminded of is, um, and this happened well before COVID, um, well, well before COVID. Um, but you think about the virtual environment that we're in today and how do we bring people together in new and creative ways? Because we're all craving that human connection, right? And we don't always get it when we're 
told that we have to stay at home. And when we go out, we can't smile at people because we have a mask on. Um, so the story of Eric Whitaker and what he did um, really becomes striking at times like this. And I hope, uh, you know, as a thought to leave everybody with, I hope it makes all of you think about how can you reach others and how can you reach them in a creative and new way. So Eric Whitaker is a composer of classical music, sonatas, arias, you know, things like yeah, that. Yeah. And, um, you know, that world is restricted usually to your geography, right? Like if you're going to assemble a choir, it's people that can get up on the stage with you in whatever city you're in, right? Right. Um, what was interesting is he started to record his, uh, his choir performance and post them on YouTube. And somebody from Perth, Australia watched his video and recorded herself singing to the choir, to, you know, what the, the YouTube video. And so Eric Whitaker was thinking about it and he's like, you know, I'm so restricted by the people that live nearby me being a part of this. I wonder how I could bring more people in. And that's how the whole thing started. Cool. Fast forward to, and, and it's one of the most moving videos I think I've seen. It's called Water Night, Eric Whitaker. And you can look it up on YouTube. Um, he started to send out YouTube and Google Hangout invitations to people. He wrote specific, um, you know, vocal range kinds of um, whatever you call them, right? What do you say when like a soprano sings this part and a bass sings this part, right? Whatever that is. <laughs> yeah, positions or roles or... <laughs> yeah. Whatever that is. He, yeah. he, he sent out the sheet music for that. And each of these people in their own vocal range recorded themselves singing their portion. And when you see the Water Night video, it's remarkable. So it starts with this drop of water that you see coming out from the sky. And it lands on the stage and then kind of spreads its way and hits the first screen that you see. And it's a single voice singing. And then the next screen lights up and the next screen lights up and more and more people join. And by the end of the, not the end of this video, but by the time the whole chorus is singing together, 3,633 people from 73 countries around the world are singing together in this just wall of TV screens. That's amazing. It's beautiful, dude. That's so cool. And they're all doing it live? Yeah. Man, man. That's, that's a lot of coordination right there. That guy should get his project manager certificate. EMP. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so... I wanted to leave everybody with that thought is like, Hey, in these exceptional times, how can we bring people together? And sometimes it's as simple as saying, let's have a coffee or an adult beverage. But uh, if you sing, if you play instruments, you know, how can you do something, take something that's the ordinary and make it extraordinary like Eric Whitaker did. Um, so those are my stories for today. I like it, man. Yeah. I hope somebody appreciates that. I certainly do. That was, um, Man, that was really cool the, with the art and the painting. I'm gonna I'm gonna start looking at all of my art in the house right now. <laughs> One hundred and fifty nine thousand football fields lined with dollar bills. That's what people were. That's walking. hard to even imagine. That's yeah. hard to even imagine. Man, that's so cool.
<laughs> well, yeah. It, listen, in the show links, we'll we'll include a. Um, um, you know, links to the Caravaggio story, certainly, absolutely links to Eric Whitaker's amazing composition, because I'd love it if everybody listening took the time to, to watch it. It's really, really life-changing, I think. Yeah, I definitely, I mean, me personally, I want to I wanna watch that now. You know, we'll start looking for it after this. Right on, right on. Well, that's what I had to share with you today. And thank you for, Jason, giving me this freedom and opportunity to throw those stories at you. It was a lot of fun getting my research together. Yeah, thanks, man. And thank you because it's always fun just to take a back seat and, you know, listen to somebody else rattle on for, for a change. You know? but <laughs> I, I'm sure my turn will come up again pretty soon. And, um, you know, I got some pretty decent feedback on, on what we did on Pilates and what we did with Shackleton. So I think there's um, – I think there's a desire for folks to, to hear some more of those, you know, kind of um, um, those historical stories that you just don't normally hear about, you know, those obscure stories. Yeah. And if you think about uh, the entirety of human history, one of the thing, one of the themes that runs through it all is the telling of stories between all of us. So when we can share something, analogy, parable, metaphor, that lasts and gives a message. And I think it's a gift. So hopefully this was a gift that others will share. Hope so, man. You know, just one, right? Just one person. That's just all. One. If we can help one person, then that's the best ever. Outstanding. All right, man. Catch you next week, brother. All right. Thanks so much. Be safe. You too.